What makes heaven so unbelievably special is because we're going home. That's our real home. This is not our home. That's our home. And the thought of a place that will finally be where we can recognize and realize that we're finally home. Let's pray. Quiet our hearts, Father, for a few moments as we have already been encouraged to think about you, think about our commitment to your son, Jesus, think about the significance of the word being distributed around the world. Father, help us today. Help us as we are here. Help us as we leave this place because we so deeply need you. Amen. I was at the Northwest Conference of the Covenant this week, and one of the things they encouraged uh, the person who spoke at the end, he says, you need to know what your pastors believe. So an idea was take your pastors out for coffee and ask them what they believe. So if you want to take us out for coffee, I'll take you out for coffee. And you want to know what we believe? I'm sure the rest of them would appreciate the opportunity to do that. And I will give you three responses. Number one, if I genuinely think I know, I'll tell you. If I don't have a clue, I'll tell you. And if you want me to find out, I'll do some study to see if I can help you. But it's going to be one of those three responses. I don't know, sometimes in the course of time, and I think you've experienced this, you have a a restlessness of the soul. And I think I had a restlessness of the soul this week, which made it very, very difficult to put together a sermon. I really struggled all week with it, not because I'm unsure of the content, but just there was a restlessness of the soul. It's probably exasperated by the fact that my wife is gone this week. And you know, when you spend many, many years together, you become so intertwined. But I just want to say as I begin that this week was a restlessness of the soul, and so we'll see how this plays out. Often I walk around the the church, I open these two doors right here, and I circle and I walk to get exercise because this floor is really nice to walk on. And I tell you, I preach a lot of sermons when I walk. There's a lot of things on my heart that I talk as I walk. I know for certain that I preach better sermons when I do that than I do here. Because when I walk, I just let it fly. And whatever my heart is thinking on the topic or whatever the subject is, my, I just let it fly. And it is in time of prayer, and it's a very, very special time for me. But I think about a lot of things, and I think a lot of things that relate to the church and the importance of the church. I appreciate Colleen's challenge last week as we think about this series of fake news, the importance of being wholehearted followers of Jesus. Are we following him? I think one of our taglines that we use in the life of the church here is that we will become wholehearted followers of Jesus. I really believe that's the central message of the church. That's the central message that we as pastors, as people and leadership of the church bring to the church. We mean by wholehearted followers of Jesus, it's not about religion. It's not about going through a bunch of things that we do so that we can call ourselves religious people. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It comes from people who have a deep and rich encounter with the living Christ, and they receive the powerful message of Christ, and from an internal motivation that's deep in their heart and their soul, they seek to serve Christ in all the dimensions of their lives. 
and they become genuine followers of Christ. And that's really what is important. That's really what it's all about as we live the journey of life is that we follow Christ genuinely in all the dimensions of our lives. He impacts every part of our lives as we think about what it means to walk with him, to live out the life of Christ on a daily basis. And when we talk about being followers of Christ, we're messing with you. We're messing with you. If you want a simple life and a nice, comfortable life, I will say to you, don't follow Jesus. Don't follow him. Because when Jesus grabs a hold of our lives, it becomes messy. It becomes difficult at times, but unbelievably rewarding to follow Christ. So we're going to mess with you. And it might mean we shrink the ranks of the church as we mess with you. Because it's not about just sitting here in church, playing church. It's not about that at all. It's no easy path, but it's the right one with a magnificent destination. We want to continually call for you to be followers of Jesus. Colleen raised the issue that we have questions and doubts. And of course, the church is a place where we can talk about those things. Because we have such mutual acceptance of one another in Christ, we can talk about things. We can raise issues and questions. The older I get, I've often said, I have more questions the older I get, but I have a deeper conviction of what I believe is true. But I have a lot more questions. I have a lot more doubts that I feel as I grow older. And sometimes that's by the nature of getting older that we have issues of doubts and questions. But folks, we're pilgrims in this world. This is not our home. We're pilgrims that are going to a better land. When we sink ourselves too deeply into this world as it becomes our home and we be too comfortable in this world as our home, we forget this is not our home. It was never intended to be our home. Now, it doesn't mean we, we pull away. It doesn't mean that we withdraw. We bring the good news of Christ into the world as we live, but this is not our home. Why do we do a series on fake news? Because I think there is such unbelievable misunderstanding of what Jesus taught and what the scripture has to say. When biblical literacy is an all-time low, there are so many things that people say that are accredited to Christ that have nothing to do with Jesus' teachings whatsoever. And partly the call I'm doing this is so that we are doing this so that we really stop and think deeply. What does the scripture have to say? We have to understand in culture, it's no longer a pursuit of what is true. We have to understand in culture, there's no longer in the general culture a pursuit of what is true. What becomes right in the eyes of people, whatever furthers the agenda, is deemed as right. And there's there's an unbelievable pragmatism that's worst. We're no longer seeking the truth and what's right, but what is expedient to further the cause. It's difficult to be a pastor these days. It's difficult. It's very difficult to think clearly, to try to articulate clearly, to try to draw people into the deepest relationship to God, to, to, to bring out things that, that counter, are countercultural, that clash with the culture, that clash with the world systems. And it happens all the time because we're not peddlers of the gospel at all. Based upon the mercies of God, as Paul, and I often say this passage, we give our lives to him, and it's based upon the mercies of God. 
based upon his incredible grace. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might truly understand what is good and the acceptable will of God. The culture itself and its value system is squeezing us so unbelievably hard. And when you go against the culture these days, you're going to recognize the difficulties. Social conformity is at an all-time high. And we live in a world of kingdoms that are in conflict. The kingdom of God is in conflict with the kingdoms of this world. The values of Christ are often in contrast to the values of the world, particularly the exclusivity of the gospel and the reality of a judgment day. Culture will never accept this. And we ought to care so much about people, but we ought not to care so much of what they think of us. Jesus says, if you follow me, he says, the world hated me And if you follow me, they will hate you too. We ought to care so deeply about people's spiritual destinies that we're willing to speak the truth in a deep sense of love. Where do we find out about Jesus? We find out about Jesus in the Bible, the sacred word. Oh, how we're rewriting the script of Jesus these days. Oh, we just, again, the agenda determines the way we see Jesus. Folks, have we forgotten, have we lost the idea, the truth that the Bible is the authority of God in our lives? Have we lost that nothing stands above the scriptures when it comes to establishing our view of life? It's not any political theory or slated social theory that stands above the scriptures, and when they're in conflict, we kick the scriptures out. Folks, the scripture is the authority ultimately in our lives. It's not the ultimate truth because there's much truth in the world. But when it comes to establishing a view of life, the scripture frames it. Are we unwilling or have we forgotten or don't we know that we bow our knees to the sacred word? Where is it written is the the cry of the denomination that we're part of. GQ magazine listed 25 books that are not worth reading anymore. One of them was the Bible. I realize that not all the great books have aged well. Some are racist, sexist, and most really, really boring in the writer. You know what I really detest? 21st century judgments on an ancient text violates the major law of history that you must look at something in its historical context. It's unsetting before you draw out and extrapolate. We're so smug and the enlightened judgments fails to realize our own failings. Over 3.9 billion people have read the Bible in the last 15 years, 50 years, they estimate. Let's explore for a few minutes. If you're a good person, you go to heaven. Talk to people about that one. Oh, religion is so strong, isn't it? Oh, we're good people. It's interesting. Listen to funerals, by the way, these days. They're both sad and they're humorous. Everybody goes to heaven. Pew Research says 72% in people in America believe heaven is a place where people who lead good lives will be rewarded. 58% believe in hell, where people who live bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. 
There's places, there's a place is called heaven and a place called hell. Central issue of being a good person and experience heaven is fake news. The question in a statement is really asks us, how do we qualify for heaven? It implies there is a destiny. And it's very clear in the teachings of Jesus and other places of the Bible that there's two destinies. And I'm not going to interpret the images this morning on describing hell, but I want to say to you, judgment is real. The separation is real because Jesus talks about a separation. And the decision to choose Jesus is the pinnacle decision of everyone's life. And salvation is attained through the realization of our utter, absolutely inability to attain it by our own efforts. Folks, we need Jesus. We so desperately need Jesus. The world so desperately needs Jesus. I realize every day of my life that I need Jesus more and more. I cry out for Jesus some days. So John 14, 1 through 6, was written by John, the most intimate disciple of Jesus. Folks, this is the apostolic witness of the people that walked and ministered with Jesus. Can you conceptualize if you were one of the disciples and you realized that you were going to lose the master? I'm leaving you guys. What do you mean you're leaving us? We're supposed to usher in this great, glorious kingdom. Where are you going? We're right here with you. And he has a message for them because all along he has kind of tried to prepare them for the fact that he's going to leave them. But the beauty of that passage of John 14, 1 through 6, which is the familiar one to us, is that he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get you. The apostles longed for Jesus to come back. They longed for him to come back and take them home. They longed for Jesus. They longed for the glorious return of their Savior. And he says, I'm going to go prepare a place. You think this first creation is quite magnificent? Wait until this all dissolves, this world as we know it, and a new heaven and new earth is created. Just think when he gives it a second go what heaven's going to be like. I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place, the most wonderful place, and I'm going to return. And when I return, I'm going to bring you home because this world is not our home. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know who's saying that? John says Jesus said that. <laughs> who would ever come up with a concept of a dying Savior in such a way as we see in the powerful message of the gospel? I was at a play last night of C.S. Lewis uh, describing his uh, um, conversion journey. And he came to really realize something when he said they, when uh, Tolkien and others told, told him about there's many myths of heroes and saviors of all sort. But they said to him, what if this one is true? What if this one is true? What if this myth, as he talked, myth, and as they used it in different ways, is true about a dying savior? And it blew him away and he started thinking about that and realized what if that's true? It changes our thinking and our hope. Now, whenever we hear that exclusivity, we, we, we cringe. We say, well, wait a minute. What about those that have never heard of Jesus? And let me just simply say, 
Romans and Corinthians doesn't, after we die, give hope as I see, but the little, little thing that says if people surrender their ability to save themselves and they thrust themselves on the mercy and grace of God, which is the qualification of saving faith, maybe if they still haven't heard of Jesus, we'll leave that one with God to determine their destiny. But still, Jesus is the only means of salvation, even if people don't personally know it. Jesus says there is a narrow path that leads to life, and wide is the path that leads to destruction. Sadly enough, folks, the vast majority of people will not be heading for heaven. It seems we'll be heading for hell and destruction. The culture, folks, we must just understand, except for those who seek are the seekers, that God is moving them, that the God is moving in their hearts. Culture will not accept the exclusivity of Jesus. You will expect hostility, arrogance, and they will say it's hateful to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus. The belief in human goodness is the greatest barrier to genuine faith. The Enlightenment, and I'm not going to go into the Enlightenment, when it overturned the idea of our fallenness with dignity still, but with the deep need for God, turned and said people are basically good and therefore no need of this kind of deep conversion is wrong. There's a common notion, human goodness is totally opposed to what Jesus taught, and it's true. In Matthew, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have come to not call the righteous, but the sinners. These are people who are spiritually sick, but they think they're so well. Jesus' words are to a religious crowd of good people, good church people. They were outwardly good people. And Jesus taught that good people don't go to heaven because their pride keeps them from admitting their deep need for a savior. All other religions of the world, salvation is realized even through hard work or attainment of a certain level of wisdom. Christianity stands absolutely unique because of the dying savior. Warren Buffett states that he donates 85% of his fortunes to five charities. Commenting on his extreme level of generosity, Buffett says, there is more than one way to heaven, but this is a great way. You hear that? Sounds like the rich young ruler. We desperately need Jesus. C.S. Lewis in the book Great Divorce describes people need to be wholly remade to, to enter heaven. Conversely, hell is the consequences of total error and rejection of God's mercy and all his goodness. Two realities. Either it's thy will be done or it is our will be done. And we woo people with the deep love and grace of God, the powerful grace of God, but we warn them of the judgment, and if we do not do both, we are irresponsible bearers of the good news. In Hebrews 9, it says, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the world. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are awaiting him. Are we waiting him for him? Jesus says, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another like shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and the unrighteous will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. I was in a preaching class where a person from Africa, a student, was 
given the opportunity to preach, and he wanted to preach about the heavenly home. I've been in the United States for several months, he said. I have seen great wealth that is here, the fine homes, cars, clothes. It's listening to many sermons. I've listened to many sermons to churches here, but I've never heard one sermon about heaven because everyone has so much in this country that no one preaches about heaven. People don't, um, in my country, most people have very little, and we preach about heaven all the time because we know how much we need it. The beauty of heaven, folks, for those that truly know him, is that we go home. I can't tell you enough how significant that is. Don't you feel a dissonance in life? Even if you have a good home, you have a good family, you have a good church family. Don't you feel in your soul a dissonance and say that, you know, it's just not quite there yet. Because the world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We're foreigners going to a better land. And the beauty of the story of the prodigal son was that the prodigal son came home. And the beauty of that wonderful parable is he came home. And we have the wonderful privilege of going home. I hope we proclaim such a powerful message that Christ is the way. It's the, it's the, there's nothing like it, folks. And then we must also be honest about the judgment. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would give us courage to follow Jesus. Help us not buy the lies of a culture who doesn't understand the ways of the kingdom. Father, may our allegiance be so tight with you that we care so deeply about people, but we do not care about what they think of us. It gives us courage to, to be your people, sharing the good news of the gospel in this world, in hope. Amen.